Uh, he sent a text. Uh, yay! So, all of you who have colds and everything like that can now see him. So, that means he has immunity, which is a good thing. So, uh, I'm joking about the cold stuff. But uh, it is very encouraging that he's uh, able to come home, and he does have immunity, so he doesn't have to be in isolation. Uh, he literally, he's been in literally almost isolation for a month now. Um, every time I go in to see him, he looks at me, it's like, man, I am ready to leave this place so bad. So please be encouraging to uh, Cherie's family, and I know that uh, Dora is super excited. Um, just make sure she doesn't leave church early to go get her husband. Amen. <laughs> uh, so with that being said, John chapter 10. Now, a couple weeks ago, uh, I did John chapter 9, and it's a, it's a story of faith. It's a story of steps of faith, and it's a man who is born blind, and we see literally him taking the steps of faith. He's obedient. He acknowledges who Jesus is. He respects who Jesus is. You see conviction, and then lastly, you see him come to a point of worship. It's like, I know who you are, Jesus, and I'm worshiping you. And then at the end of John chapter 9, we have this confrontation. And it says in John chapter 9, in verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see, may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, if you understand 9, you'll understand that this is really the same argument, the same discussion going into the first part of chapter 10. That those who are blind can see, and those who claim they can see are actually blind. Then verse 40 says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so it's a confrontation. It's a confrontation that I call the we see confrontation. And John sets this confrontation up with the word no. Well, I know. I know this, I know that, I know. And you see it in John chapter 9. Again, I'm doing some background work before we get into 10. But look here in some of these verses. In like John chapter 9, verse 12. This man was blind, he sees. The crowds are saying, well, who did this? And look in verse 12. He says, they said to him, where is he? Jesus. And he says, I don't know. And then in John 9, verse 20. His parents are brought up, and they know they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue if they acknowledge who Jesus is, and so they're questioning his parents, and he says his parents answered, well, we know that he's our son and that he was born blind, but how now that he sees, or how now that he sees, we don't know, nor we do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. John chapter 9, verse 24 the Pharisees called in the man the second time. And in verse 24, it says, For, the, for they call him glory to God. We know. 
that this man was a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And then John chapter 9, verse 29, he's back in front of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say, we know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he has come from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opens my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So again, you see this confrontation of, what do you know? I don't know. What do you know? Well, I know this. Well, I know that. Well, I think I know this. Well, know what? I don't think. I know I know this. And really, the only two people that were confident was the man born blind, because the thing I know is I was blind, but now I see. And then the Pharisees, that they knew that this guy was not from God. So adamant, so stubborn, so convinced in their way, their teaching, their knowledge of God, that they did not see. You know, it seems like this that make me pause when I'm really adamant about my opinion. <laughs> if I ever get to a point where like, no, it's this way. I'm just like, hmm, <laughs> John chapter 9. I got to be really careful about how strong I want my opinion to be. You know, what things do we, are we adamant about? What things do we draw the line in? What things do we say we know? Einstein, arguably one of the most intelligent people in the world, says every day I stand at the threshold of great ignorance. Every day. And I love Hamlet, Shakespeare. And he gives this quote, and I've used this quote before, and I'll use it again. He goes, doubt that the stars are fire, doubt that the sun doth move, doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. And so we have this confrontation. This confrontation of blindness versus sight. This confrontation was not only for the Pharisees, it was for the Israelites. It's for us here today. This confrontation of, do we see or are we blind? And so then John rolls this confrontation into John chapter 10. And John chapter 10 begins with, I tell you the truth. Man. When was the last time someone walked up to you and said, man, I got I to gotta tell you the truth, brother. I got to tell you the fact. If someone would do that to me, that would get my attention really fast. That means, like, whatever it is, it's serious. I tell you the truth. But what Jesus does, he changes the metaphor. He changes the metaphor from blindness to one of sheep stealing 
he uses two metaphors that we can understand. One, blindness and sight, and the other one, now he starts talking about sheep, which to them, it was really common. They understood shepherding and sheep and the pens and the gates. They understood that. And so now we have John chapter 10, verse 1. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now imagine, you're with Jesus, you're with the crowd, you have this confrontation between this man born blind, his family, the Pharisees, you have this big discussion, and all of a sudden Jesus now talks about sheep, and he, and he brings up a story that all of us would understand. It's a typical everyday theme. And he says, imagine a pen, probably a circle pen that holds sheep. You have this enclosure and the sheep are in the pen and, and you have the gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper's responsibility was to protect the sheep at night. He would perhaps lay on the ground at the door. Perhaps there was a door and he'd close it. But the gatekeeper would sit there and watch and protect the sheep. Then, at some time during the day, the shepherd would come and lead out all his sheep. Now, there might have been a lot of sheep in that pen, but though there were certain sheep that knew his voice. And he would come in and call or sing or say something, and the sheep that recognized his voice would come out of the door, and he would call them by name. Imagine, you know, I've used this analogy. You know, when you're younger and you're playing kickball in the field and you have two teams and the two best players, one on one side and one on this side, and say, oh, I want Mike. Mike's my first choice. Okay, second choice. Okay, who's left? Jeff, you're on my team. Okay, great. Okay, Mir, you're on my team. Okay, now we're going, John, you're on my team. Okay, okay, now we got, now we're going over, now, okay, Ted, okay, we only got two or three more people left, and, you know, okay, okay, Jeff, you're next, and, man, there's two people left. They're the last two. <laughs> you know, up to this point, it's kind of nice having your name called, but you, when you know that you're the last ones being called, that's saying something about you. But see, that's not the story here. It's like there's a big flock, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, okay, Teresa, Trasia, there you go. Jamie, there you go. Alan, let's go. Come on, let's go, hurry up. Come on, David, you're kind of slow today. Come on, hurry up. Okay, come on. Okay, you know, how you doing today, John? Okay, John's got an ear infection. We've got to take care of that. Okay, we got, you just start calling them out. 
and you're checking out your sheep. As they call out, as you listen, you, you listen to the sheep baying, you're calling out by name, you're calling them out, and they're coming out. The sheep gate, the gatekeeper sitting there watching the sheep going on, he's watching the other sheep, and so they just keep coming out. It's a scenario that happened every day in Jerusalem or in Israel at that time. And he calls them out and he leads them, and then he leads them to what? Pasture. And the grass, it's good. Water, been cooped up all night. They recognize and trust the shepherd, so the sheep follow. It's an intimate scene. It's one of bonding, closeness, intimacy. But see, but there's also danger. And so you see this scenario, and it's, and it's fun, it's cozy. I mean, we make little pictures of Jesus holding the lamb, and that's how we look at Jesus. And you know, that's an okay one illustration of Jesus. But you know what? You should, if Jesus holds the lamb, maybe you should have that thief and that robber in the picture also. Maybe you should have the wolf in the picture also. Because you understand is that there's danger out there. There's danger in the pen. There's danger out in the field. The gatekeeper is watching the sheep in the pen from the thieves and the robbers. And then the shepherd's out there in the fields watching out for the wolves. So there's danger. And I love verse 6. It says, the figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. How many times do we read the Bible and we just don't get it? And what's Jesus saying? Well, what's, what's God trying to tell me in this scripture? Okay, the scripture's here for a reason. What is the reason? And that's what was happening here with these people listening to Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He continues the story. John chapter 10 and verse 7. Now he's getting really clear. Again, he, he starts off again with a, truly, truly, I tell you. I tell you the truth. I'm getting your attention. He goes, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The sh good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd does not have his own, who does not have his own sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus says again, I tell you the truth. And now he says one of his famous I am statements. He goes, I am the door. I am the gate. Access, access to a different world, another way, the narrow way. I am offering you security. I am offering you freedom. I am the door. 
You know, I find it interesting, amazing. I think as I get older, I see this more and more in my life and the life of people that I'm close to. How important security is to us. Security. Now, if you're a man, if you're a large man, security is like the last thing on your mind. Because you know what? You usually don't feel insecure. Walking down the street, walking down the path, in the woods. I'm walking, my prayer times, I'm out by myself. I'm like, what, what is in Hit Lake Hickory? A mountain lion's going to eat me? You know, maybe a possum has rabies, maybe. But you know, I remember one time I was walking in the woods, I was praying. And I was walking, 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 and all of a sudden, this guy just, just jumps out of the woods. And he was disleveled, his hair was messed up, and it looked like he was probably on drugs or something. We're talking about, like, Lake Louisville, out in the woods, and, and I'm like, I picked up a rock. <laughs> and he was trying to get himself out of the woods. Now, whatever reason he was there, how he got there, whatever, I didn't get into it, but I gave him directions. <laughs> and then I went the other way. <laughs> Security. You know, when I walk down the road, if it's night, and if I see a woman walk towards me, I know she's insecure. What's she going to do? And if you're a guy, you can't appreciate that. Security. You know, there's a story about the Golden State Bridge. Some of us have lived there in California. We know the bridge, and we know how it was built in 1935 or 33. And, and there's a story about the Golden State Bridge. Imagine working on a construction project that was expected that one person would die for every $1 million invested in that project. So if you'd build a $10 million project, You'd expect 10 people to die. Golden State Bridge was going to cost about $35 million. The expectation was at least 35 people would die building that bridge. There was an engineer. His name was Joseph Strauss. And he wanted to buck that tradition. You know, the Great Depression was going on. One in four people were out of work. People would come to San Francisco just looking for jobs and you know, and they had a description of how dangerous this work was. He goes, they talked about how the fog would come in and go out and come in all day long. And, and whenever the iron would get wet, it literally would be like ice, how slippery it was. And, and chances are, you know, you'd start walking around and you'd slip so easily. And they'd describe the windy conditions and how gusts would come along and literally blow you off of the bridge. So this chief engineer, construction manager, started providing different security measures. Like, for instance, like lifelines, security lines, reinforced hats. He in made people wear reinforced hard hats, which wasn't very new, but it wasn't mandatory. He actually gave respirators to those who were dealing with uh, the riveters so that they wouldn't invest in, in, uh, inhale the fumes. He had uh, glare-free goggles that he would give the workers so they, wouldn't, they could ward off snow blindness when they're up on top of the roof, up on top and the water be reflected 
or the sun would be reflected off the water. They'd have special hand cream and facial cream because of the winds blowing back in 1935. They even came up with diets to help the workers so they wouldn't get dizzy. They had an on-site hospital staffed by physicians in case someone got hurt. And then the last thing he did is that he created a $130,000 net that if anyone would fall, they wouldn't die. Actually, 19 people were saved because of that net. Now, 11 people did end up dying on this project. Ten of them in one accident when a five-ton piece of section broke off and killed ten at one time. But it was 11 when the expectation was 35. You know, it got to a point where they threatened to fire people if they would just fall off because they wanted to get caught by the net. (laughs) And this group of 19 who were saved, they called themselves the halfway to hell group because they didn't go all the way. Imagine the secure feeling that these individuals must have felt knowing that if they fell, they had something below them to protect them. Security. What's your 401k? How's your health? We want security. And see, what Jesus was offering in the pen, he goes, I'm offering you security. But we want our freedom, too. And I love history. You know, it's so funny. We're in the same dialogue. It's like, oh, my gosh, look what the NSA is doing. They're, you know, eavesdropping and you know, well, the civil liberties, and, you know, those are my rights, and I don't want them on my telephone records, and, oh, you know, you're, you're treading on my freedom. Okay, well, how much security do you want? <laughs> so it's the same thing. We all want freedom. I want to be free. But free from what? And so Jesus says, I am the door. And he offered security and freedom. And freedom's a touchy thing. Because I think the challenge is is that we're in a very free society. I read a quote about Amsterdam. Should have brought it with me. I forget who made the quote. He goes, Amsterdam is not a very sinful city. It's a very free city. And when you have freedom... People usually find sin. I was like, yeah, that's probably very true. But what is Jesus not? See, he's not the thieves or the robbers. What was their main purpose? To steal what wasn't theirs. He wasn't a stranger. Strangers have a lack of intimacy. The hired men allowed the wolf to come in and to scatter and destroy the flock. And so what did Jesus say? I am the door, but I'm also the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd offer? The good shepherd offers intimacy, freedom. It takes them out. What does Jesus say? He goes, I know. Now, again, we have that big argument, that big discussion, like, what do you know? Now Jesus finally comes out and says, I know. I know 
my own by name. I know they know my voice. I know the Father knows me. And I know the Father. So Jesus starts throwing this no knowing back in the Pharisees' face. You know something? Good. Let me tell you what I know. Again, I know my sheep. I know they know my voice. I know my father. I know my father knows me. He goes, I am going to lead them out by name. Intimate. Close. Emotional. He's going before. He's not pushing. Have you had a hard day? Jesus understands. He's been there. You're not understood? Yeah. Jesus gets that too. You're not loved? Yeah. Jesus has been there. Go through some hard times. We just go down the list of all the different things we go through. Guess who understands? Jesus. Because he's, he has this intimacy, this closeness that the good shepherd offers. Now let's keep on going in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, then Jesus, again, this, the, no, the no thing, he comes out. But look at verse 14. He says, I am, again, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon, is an insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? <laughs> what's, the, what's the whole focus of John chapter 10, 1 through 21. It's how awesome is Jesus. It's all about how incredible Jesus is. He didn't come in to steal. He didn't come in to neglect. He didn't come in to scatter and destroy. Jesus came to give us security. Freedom intimacy Jesus came so that we can have life abundant life you know I know a group like this and you know this is this is a fun group to certainly talk to and preach to but it's kind of skewed in some ways because overall this group is very rich now some of you might be like whoa who's he talking to <laughs> you because if you would be in comparison to the world, you're probably in the top 95% of the world. If we would have whatever, this is like, let's say, 5% of the world, we would have 90, this group would be 95% bigger. And you would be on the creme de la creme, is that right? All right. 
you'd be, you'd be top dog financially. Financially. Now, intellectually and looks-wise, you can't all have it, you know. Only a few of us have that gift. Amen. So, <laughs> so, so here we are. We're in America. And for us to really understand security, freedom, I, I think the intimacy, I think all of us can get. You know, we can have some fun here. I mean, how, do you, how, how many of you feel intimate? close with another human being like really close that they get you and they love you and you know you know the bad thing about it is one spouse raised their hand <laughs> not both spouses raised their hand you know maybe you're a child maybe you're a roommate maybe whatever but you know what at times like yeah you know what I do I feel lonely I feel by myself I I'm just I'm not intimate the way I, I, I feel like I need to be I get that and I think we all get that the security thing What do you put your security in? You know, I, I don't want this. And I, and I was thinking about my lesson when I started working on it about 15 minutes ago. And, you know, I was like, I, was like, you know, what, I, I don't want to talk about this because I don't want to open this up. Because what, if this happened to me, then, uh, then everyone's going to be watching me. Okay, I get that. I've been there. What happens if I lose my house? Is my joy really based on my house? If I lose my job again? Is my joy really based on my job, my health, my athletic ability, my freedom, whatever? Is it freedom? Are we really free? Are we really free? What, what, what enslaves us? Fear? Maybe, maybe it's family and, 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 and you know, extended family. Maybe you're fearful of your spouse. Maybe you're fearful of of losing something, I don't know, you gotta, you got to kind of make this yourself. Because you got to think about what is freedom. And it's not the brave heart on a gurney being racked and quartered and yelling freedom. It's, no, we're not talking about that. I think we're probably about as enslaved people as you can get. Enslaved to our emotions, enslaved to our fear, we're enslaved to hatred or anger. We're enslaved to whatever. You get the point. But Jesus is awesome. Now, again, this is not anti-leadership. This is not anti-Pharisee. This is not a, yeah, you leaders. It's not an anti-leader lesson. And I'm going to get to that here in a second. But see, I think the thing we got to understand is that how awesome Jesus is and what he has come to give us comes at great cost. Five times in four verses, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I die because of the sheep. I am willing to die so that the sheep can live. It's the first hint of Jesus' self-sacrifice in John. So this awesomeness of Jesus comes at a great cost. You know, I do appreciate what we do as a nation 
when we celebrate like Memorial Day. I appreciate that. You know why? Because we are remembering those who have given their lives for our freedom. Now, we're talking about a, a nation freedom. And that, but that only goes so far. But see, Jesus, self-sacrifice goes beyond into eternity. And so because of Jesus' willingness to lay down his life, because of Jesus' willingness to self-sacrifice, because of Jesus' willingness to love, what's God's response to this? Look at verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me. For this reason, the Father loves me. The Father was pleased and loved Jesus because of Jesus' willingness to deny himself for others. To give his life so that we can have life, abundant life. The Father was pleased because his son became the example to the world of not what leadership is, just what Christianity is. See, this is not a leadership lesson. This is a everyone who's a disciple of Jesus lesson. Total self-giving. To love. To engage, to build, to protect, to save. To offer security and freedom. To give direction and love. As disciples of Jesus. You know, maybe some of us are husbands, or maybe some of us are wives, or maybe some of us are children, or maybe some of us are roommates, or some, some of us have jobs, and maybe some of us don't have jobs. But whatever situation we're in, guess who's our example? Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He denied himself. He gave security. He gave freedom. He gave intimacy so we can be secure in his love and the direction that he takes us. We can be free from what enslaves us. <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize, dude, I was one of the most emotional people in the whole wide world. Up, 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 down, down, down. Up, 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 down, down, down. I was an emotional basket case at times. And guess what? I will be in the future. But I can be freed from that. Materials? Whatever. Look, I don't care what I drive. I don't care what house I live in. I really don't. I don't care how fast my internet is. <laughs> Fear? Fear? Being fearful? Will I be loved? Will I be taken care of? My rights? How about building deep, meaningful, emotional relationships with other people? And not just the person you said, I do too. That's good. That's a good start. 
But then some of you have children. And then some of you have neighbors. And some of you are in Bible talks. So building meaningful, deep, emotional relationships. And yeah, you might be constipated in those areas. But see, as a disciple of Jesus, you're like, you know what? I need to change. Because John 10 is all about Jesus talking to the Pharisees about blindness. Oh, I see. Oh, I know. Oh, I know how it's supposed to be. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> Do you? Do you really know? Because now that you claim you know, judgment. And so we didn't even talk about judgment. But that's what this also, this another, you want to go with another vein on this whole John 9, 10, is judgment. That could be whenever I preach next, next month. Judgment. But I don't think we have to go there right now. I think probably what we're chewing on, John chapter 9, John chapter 10, is probably enough. But I will say this. Jesus says one more thing. And what he says, he goes, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. You know, many of us in this room have made a decision to be a disciple of Jesus, and so we're following his voice. But guess what? There's many other sheep outside this pen that want to follow this voice. Do you invite them in? Are you reaching out to them? Are you trying to, hey, let's, let's listen to the voice of Jesus. As those who of us who have made that decision to be a disciple of Jesus, do we study the Bible with other people? When was the last time you were in a study with someone else? Because the only way faith can be built is through the word of God. There are other sheep that will listen to my voice. So I hope here today, as we consider John chapter 9 and 10, and we consider this, this confrontation of we seen, this confrontation of blindness, this confrontation of sight, that we'll really reevaluate what do we know? What do we really know? And see, the man born blind, he knew he was blind. And he, he knew he could see again. And I guarantee you, that gratitude probably carried him the rest of his life. Gratitude. Because he knew he could see now. And I hope for all of us that we can have the same kind of gratitude to Jesus. That we understand how precious the sight that we have is. Let's go to God now in prayer as we take communion and remember Jesus and his sacrifice. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we come to you now humbled and grateful for your love. Father, we're humbled and grateful that you know the Father 
and that you revealed the Father to us. God, we pray that you'll help us to see, you'll help us to understand. Father, you'll help us to, to listen to the voice of your son, Jesus, and follow that and trust that. God, as your son leads us out to green pastures. Father, I know many of us are going through many different things. But Father, when we put our trust in your son, Father, we know that we will be taken care of. Maybe not the way we think we should be taken care of, but Father, eventually in eternity to be with you. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.